Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. Our guest today, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, provides inspiration and motivation to those in pursuit of their own aspirations. This interview focuses on the power of grit and determination to meet any opportunity or challenge. Achieving the position of any major office takes a passion and a capacity for growth that few possess. Maureen O'Connor has demonstrated these skills as she pursued her career and evolved to become one of the most prominent Ohio elected officials. She was the first woman in Ohio history to be Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. And in 2003, when she was first elected, she was just the sixth woman to join the court. Chief Justice O'Connor has pursued an extensive agenda on the Supreme Court from working with federal and state agencies in the aftermath of 9-11 to the creation of the nation's first multi-state body, designed to fight the opioid epidemic. Her achievements and struggles along the way has made her a leader for women and a trailblazer in Ohio history. Welcome, Chief Justice. You were born in Washington, D.C., but were raised in Ohio. Why did your family choose to move? Choose to move from Washington? Uh, Simple fact, my dad graduated from Georgetown. He was there in dental school. I was born, and my older sister was born uh, in Washington, and when my dad graduated, we came to Cleveland, which was my mother's hometown. My parents met in college, and they obviously married after my mother graduated, and my father was in dental school. Interesting. Your career in public service really spans over three decades, and includes service such as you were a private lawyer, a magistrate, common pleas court judge, prosecutor, and lieutenant governor. What motivated you to pursue law? I chose law because I like to solve problems. I've always been drawn to solve problems not only for myself, but for others. I feel an obligation almost to do that. That, I think, is deeply rooted just by the way I was raised. You help people, you help them solve problems, you do what you can do to make things better. I mean, there's an obligation for you to give back. It was always understood. I got that from my grandparents. I got that from my parents. I certainly, throughout my education, I went to Catholic school, you know, starting in first grade all the way through college. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the foundation of that training. Uh, So it was kind of a natural thing to gravitate towards the law. I have to say, I tried a few careers before I settled on the law. Tell us about it. Well, you know, after college, I took a job, a financial institution, and decided after about a year and a half or so, that wasn't for me. I went back to graduate school, or I went to graduate school, I should say, to pursue a master's in teaching degree because I thought that teaching would be a good career. Loved history. I was uh, majored in history in college, and I thought I wanted to be a social studies history you know, teacher. I got all the way up to the end to my student teaching. I did my student teaching, and 
I always joke, I found out that I didn't like children well enough to spend my career teaching them. <laughs> so, and, and thousands of children have benefited from that decision. <laughs> so, I, so anyway, that, that, I got through that part. And then I did take a kind of a hiatus, if you will, teach. I was doing substitute teaching. And then in the evenings, I was waitressing. And it was, uh, you know, it, 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 it was just, I mean, I'm talking for about six months. It was just like, where do I want to go from here? Uh, and that's when I decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to go to law school. I'm just going to quit. Well, what year was that? Because there weren't very many law schools accepting oh, no. women. Oh, yes, there were. Half of my class were women. Yes, back then. Well, maybe not quite half. But there was a real effort. This was 1977. And so, yes, really? there were the women were uh, a lot of women in my class, a lot of minorities in my class. So it was kind of an awakening that you didn't have to be white and male to go to law school. So, yeah, I, that was 1977. So I, you know, decided that I was going to go to law school. I was tell this story too. Uh, I applied to one law school, Cleveland Marshall. I told you I had been waitressing and, and uh, substitute teaching, et cetera, for a while. And I decided, because I had spent a considerable amount of time in Ireland in 76 and 77, and I wanted to either go to law school uh, with the money that I'd saved up, or I was, if I didn't get into law school, I was going to go bum around Europe for <laughs> until my money ran out. Well, wouldn't you know, I got into law school. I've never been able to bum around Europe. <laughs> Interesting. So... so- this is kind of an inspiration for a lot of uh, young women. It is absolutely. When I tell high schoolers and college kids and even in law school, I didn't have a straight path to go from high school to college to law school to you know career, et cetera. You have to try on things. And if they don't fit, then discard them and, and move on to the next. And that's it's just as important to figure out what you don't want to do what isn't a good career choice as what is because it helps you narrow. And I also say don't go through your college or your graduate career with blinders on and think I'm just going to go from point A to point Z and there's going to be a straight path. You lose perspective and you can't, at that point, you may not be able to take advantage of all the opportunities that you that come along your way because you're, you've got your blinders on. Life happens. Sometimes life happens by accident. Sometimes opportunities present themselves. They always present themselves where you least expect. So the advice I give to folks that are asking is do your very best at what you're doing now. If you're a student, do your very best at being a student, being involved, that sort of thing. And opportunities will present themselves. You have to be aware of those opportunities and available to take advantage of them. And you have to decide that those opportunities are right for you. And if you attempt an opportunity and it's not right, well, then pivot. Do something else as soon as you can. Uh, Don't get stuck in a rut. Uh, That's one of the worst things you can do. But if you're good at what you do now, people will notice. They will think of you when an opportunity presents itself and they say, hey, how about her? How about him? They do a good job here. They probably would do a good job at this. And those are how opportunities moving up or lateral or even new opportunities 
uh, present themselves. It's also an opportunity for you to determine where you're comfortable, where you feel that you would fit in. It's much like I did when I decided to become involved in politics and, and run for office. It was something I was going to see how that worked out. I had an interest in in my career at that point. I was a magistrate in, in probate court and seeing the judiciary from the inside as opposed to the opposite in front of the bench, you know, behind the bench. And I realized that being a judge was something that I think I could do and do well, and it would fit in with my personal goals of using my law degree to help people. And it worked, so to speak. But let me say, it didn't work the first time, the second time, or the third time. I ran for political office locally in Summit County and was unsuccessful, but that did not deter me because I had a goal. I knew how the political the politics worked in the county, and I knew that you kind of had to pay your dues and run for offices when the party would like, you know, they needed a candidate to run for judicial office. That's what I was obviously involved with. Then if there's an opportunity for an appointment, your name comes up as the likely candidate to get that political appointment, and that's what happened to me. So again, you do your very best of what you can do. You show that you work hard. You show that you can succeed. And again, opportunities. You mentioned Summit County. Would you explain to our listeners, where is Summit County in Ohio? Everybody knows where Summit County is, Marianne. (laughs) It's Akron, Akron, Ohio. It is obviously the county to the south of Cuyahoga County. Now, in 1995, you were elected Summit County prosecuting attorney. You received a lot of accolades. I was not elected. I was appointed to be the prosecutor. There was an opening for prosecuting attorney. The, prose- the then prosecutor was elected to the Ninth District Court of Appeals. There was an opening. It had to be filled by the party because he was a Republican. It had to be filled by the party. And there were several people who were into it, interested in it. And I kind of took a look at who they were. And I thought that that job is too important to let go to just anybody with no real credentials to do it. And I, by the way, had just been elected by 70% of the vote to my judgeship. You know, I had been appointed to the judgeship. I had to run two years later. I had just been elected 70% almost of the county. So this was January, I think. And I uh, went to the party chair and said, I want to be county prosecutor. I want to take that job because it's too important to not have somebody who really wants it for the right reasons. And so the reaction was, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, actually, I had people say to me, why do you want to work that hard? But nonetheless, I resigned from being a common police court judge, uh, became the county prosecuting attorney. And it was, I loved being a judge. Please don't get me wrong. Being a judge was a trial judge. I think that's one of the best jobs you can have. Being the county prosecutor is one of the very best jobs you can have as well. So I was very fortunate. I loved being the county prosecutor. When I took over the county prosecuting attorney's office, the prosecutor had the responsibility for the Child Support Enforcement Agency. There's only one institution that affects more children in the county 
then the child enforcement agency, child support enforcement agency, and that's our school system. So that tells you how important child support enforcement agency is, right? And the Children's Defense Fund had done a study uh, just the year before of all of the counties and all of the child support enforcement agencies in the state of Ohio. And Summit County was 87th out of 88 counties for its effectiveness when I took over. Two years later, we were nominated for two national awards. It was a matter of asking the wrong people to leave uh, and hiring the right people. You lobbied the General Assembly for tougher laws. Did. That was, uh, I think that was on uh, rape. Well, that was to expand the statute of limitations on rape. There was also a law that uh, at at that point Betty Montgomery was supporting as well, and that had to do with gang uh, prosecution, gang violence. And the mothers for drunk drivers. They gave me an award, yes, for the way we handled that. A few years later, you were elected lieutenant governor, the second highest executive office in the state, and you became Governor Bob Taft's chief advisor on criminal justice issues. Share with us your experience as a lieutenant governor. I was on the Taft-O'Connor ticket. We won. Uh, It was great. We were elected. I had a conversation with Bob Taft early on that when I became lieutenant governor, I wanted to run a department, not just be the lieutenant governor with no statutory duties, really, and, you know, serve in an advisory role on a part-time job. That wasn't what, what I wanted. So I became the director of the Department of Public Safety, first woman to have that job. That was a one of the large departments in the state had almost 4,000 employees, five different divisions. And that was my real job, day to day. That was my real job. But also when legislation was being created or had been drafted and we were taking a look at it, criminal justice matters, I would be involved in the discussions with the governor and other people to determine what our position was going to be if we were going to weigh in on different pieces of legislation. None really come to mind. Well, you know what? We we talked about things like holding parents accountable for their child's truancy. That was something that, that came about. I thought was an important thing to do. Not, you know, uh, yeah, the first time the child's, you know, truant yeah. or the second time, but, you know, chronic truancy. If the child's living with their parent or, or they have a guardian and they're living with the guardian, there's responsibilities there and, and there has to be consequences. But you also have to help people to make that happen. So you set up programs that are going to improve their, their maybe their parenting and improve their oversight of their child. It's interesting, isn't it, as we reflect back looking at that kind of legislation and programs that you thought were going to be so beneficial, and yet today we're almost facing so very many of the same issues. I think the issues have gotten more serious, quite frankly. I think what children and and what presents itself at schools now and for younger and younger teenagers is much more uh, troubling and much more potentially deadly. You've got proliferation of guns. You've got drugs. You've got scary drugs such as, uh, you know, fentanyl being laced into all kinds of, from marijuana to hard, hardcore uh, drugs. And you've got kids that don't have the judgment to know 
that the risk is there. So it's a scary time to be a teenager. I really believe that. Now, there's tons and tons of teenagers that are not involved with guns, drugs, or anything else. They're doing great. I'm not saying that this is an epidemic in, in teenagers at all. But for the ones that this is, these problems are present. And they typically have to be lower socioeconomic communities. It can turn deadly very, yeah, very fast. You know, gang activity, gang fights in schoolyards after hours tends to be, it's just, uh, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Well, you moved on from being the lieutenant governor to becoming a justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. Tell us how this came about and then about your role as chief justice and what does a chief justice do that's different than a justice? Well, how I decided I was going to run for the Supreme Court, I had always in the back of my mind thought I'd like to get back on the bench someday because I really enjoyed being a, being a judge. I thought that when I left being a judge to become the county prosecutor, I thought, well, I'll do a, maybe three terms as county prosecutor, then I'll go back on the bench. Then I moved on to be lieutenant governor, and I thought, you know, I really, maybe after this, I might want to go back on the bench. And in my mind, at that point early on, it was back on the bench meant going back to the trial court bench, common pleas. But I spent four years in Columbus seeing the landscape from the 30th floor, so to speak, of uh, the Rife, and, and you get a different perspective on, you know, state government and bigger I guess maybe bigger horizons than what I had in Summit County alone. And I realized that there was an opening on the Supreme Court, and that would be my opportunity to return to the bench. It just wouldn't be a trial bench. It would be the Supreme Court. So I told uh, you know Governor Taft that I was not going to be joining him on the ticket again for the second term, that I was going to uh, run the party selected me to run, obviously, for the Supreme Court, which I did run, was elected. And uh, I might add that when I was elected, that gave the Supreme Court its first ever female majority. And for many of the years, the the 20 years since then, uh, we've had a female majority on the Supreme Court. Who were those four, the four of you? Originally, it was me, Judge Cook, Alice Roby Resnick and yeah. Eve Stratton. Oh, those yes. were the four, and then there were three men, of course. Then, as I said, over the twenty years, we've had many instances where we've had other other four women uh, combos yeah. on the court. So, you know, I was you know an associate justice, and an associate justice and the justice, the chief justice, have the same duties when it comes to the cases that come before the court, reading the briefs. Uh, participating in oral argument, participating in conference and voting on the cases, and then writing opinions if it's going to be your, you know, if you're assigned that opinion to write. That's all the same. My vote does not weigh any heavier than any of my colleagues on matters like that. My job as chief justice, though, is a lot of the administrative duties. We have employees. We have a building that is our own. We have services that we provide to all of the courts in Ohio, all of the judiciary in Ohio, guidance. Uh, We have the Judicial College for Continuing Legal Education. We have attorney services. By constitution, the Supreme Court is in oversight over the practice of law. So 
law students being admitted to take the bar. Uh, once they take the bar and pass, being admitted to the practice of law. This is all within the purview of the Supreme Court, and a lot of it comes, the organizational part of it, comes under the auspices of the Chief Justice's role as Chief Administrator. Interesting. I think most of us have no idea how a Supreme, the state Supreme Court the process works. We have, in our building downtown, we have over, you know, 200 employees. We have, as I said, we've got 722, 23 judges in the state of Ohio. That's a lot of judges. We have over 800 magistrates. So that's... Explain what a magistrate is versus a judge for the listeners. A judge is elected, of course, every six years. And a magistrate is a lawyer who a judge has selected to be, to hear cases to help with the caseload of of the court, and then the parties go before that magistrate, and if they object to the decision of the magistrate, they have the opportunity to appeal that decision to the court, to the judge. And if they don't, the judge will then accept the magistrate's report for the most part, and that becomes then the order of the case. Hello, this is producer Ryan Kulik. We're going to hit pause here on the conversation between Marianne and Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. We wanted to give you an idea of a beginning of her career and then come back next week where we talk about some of the highlights, some of the things that the Chief Justice feels like she's done during her career, some ideas on the present and uh, where she's going to go in the future here. So thank you again for listening and we'll see you all next week. High Heels and Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sherrod Sate. Subscribe to High Heels and Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.